0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is Episode 40 of Season 2 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Uh, We are at the midway point of this best-of-seven playoff series between the Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The series is tied at 2-2, and the teams will meet on Tuesday night at FedEx Forum at 6.30 in the pivotal Game 5 before returning to Minnesota for Game 6 on Friday night. It'll be a solo edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind today. Uh, No friend of the program just got back from Minneapolis. And uh, rather than try to schedule something, you're just going to be stuck with me for the next 20 or so minutes. We'll do That Was the Week That Was and then an extended version of Petey's Points. That's what we have on the docket for today. But first, we tell you, the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12, in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City's help young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Go to the website. Check out uh, all the latest events. Uh, on their website to uh, know when the competitions are coming up and how your young person can get involved in those. So this first-round best of seven is tied at two games apiece, and uh, let's get into That Was the Week That Was. Well, Game 3 was one for the books. Um, The Grizzlies were down 18 after one quarter and uh, managed to climb their way back into it with a big second quarter. And then the 37-12 the fourth quarter was really remarkable. Um, big fourth quarter from Brandon Clark had 12 of his 20 in the fourth quarter. And the biggest thing for me was he made all eight of his free throws. I think the, the wind-up to Game 3 was essentially, even though these are two of the youngest teams in the NBA, you had a Grizzlies team that had a little bit more playoff experience having been through the play-in tournament two years in a row, and then actually getting into the postseason last year against the Utah Jazz, Grizzlies maintained their poise a little bit better than Minnesota did. Minnesota's been a team that, when you look at their defensive rating, their defensive rating drops off a cliff in the second half. At least that was the case during the course of the regular season. Um, John Morant gets the first postseason triple-double in Grizzlies franchise history. 16, 10, and 10, did have three blocks, but on the flip side had had seven turnovers. This was a game that, you know, the Grizzlies were in a situation where way too many turnovers. They lost 28 points off turnovers. Now, they were only minus seven because they forced 17 for 21 points. The benefit here is that the Grizzlies shot eight more free throws, made two more threes, and even though they they did not shoot well only 42% from the floor they held Minnesota to 38% and that was essentially how this game played out and the grizzlies even without playing steven adams in the fourth quarter grizzlies had a dominant edge on the glass and they got uh, this was remarkable 17 second chance points off of five offensive rebounds that was the, to me that was as crazy a stat as anything that came out of that basketball game Talked to Taylor Jenkins after the game, congratulated him, and, and of course, asked the question, (laughs) do you know how this happened? And he said, you know, basically, we're we're flying by the seat of our pants. And a lot of in-game adjustments, the biggest in-game adjustment for the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter was having Tyus Jones on the floor with John Morant. You've probably heard Brevin talk about Minnesota's defense against John Morant, calls it boxes and elbows. You know, at the bottom of the free throw lane, there there is it's not a box anymore, but uh, there there used to be a, a solid little rectangle painted on the lane line. That's the box elbow, obviously, where the lane line meets the free throw line. It's it's almost like playing a a one two two zone, um, but you what you're trying to do is you're trying to take away the paint, and so you don't station your your defenders further away from the lane lines. You try to keep them on the lane lines so that you can deny. Dribble drives by John Morant. And early in this game, Patrick Beverly was very good with one-on-one on on ball defense against John Morant. Had a very frustrated in this game. Ja didn't shoot it really well, five of eighteen. So he made up for it with the 10 assists. But in the fourth quarter, now you go a little smaller and you bring Tyus Jones in. And Tyus Jones is a low turnover guy. He can get you into your sets. And then it frees John Morant to be the John Morant that everybody has come to know and love as being the the dynamic offensive player. Uh, the bonus to this is that Tyus Jones came in and was lights out shooting threes, which he has, has done late in the season. And, and Tyus Jones playing in front of his family, his friends, his brother Trey was there. His mom was there. Other family members were there. Of course, he's a native of Apple Valley, Minnesota, just outside of uh, the twin cities. So he showed out really well. That was the key coaching move. I think in game three that got the Grizzlies, the win. Now you go to game four after the Grizzlies win game three, 104-95, coming from 26 down. And and one fact that almost escapes your attention, the fact that the Grizzlies actually at one point in the fourth quarter led by 12 after trailing by as many as 26. And they were down 25 with about three minutes remaining in the third quarter. And uh, it was just a remarkable comeback, obviously, biggest comeback in Grizzlies playoff history. And so the question is, we turn the page to game four, was where would the two teams' psyches be? Would Minnesota fold uh, on the verge or after, after that collapse? Would the Grizzlies play with greater confidence? Would they come out with, with a greater sense of urgency? How would this all play out? Well, the way that it turned out is Minnesota came out, again, with a great sense of urgency. These two teams were the top two scoring teams in the NBA last during the regular season, and they were also one and two in first quarter scoring. Grizzlies averaging 30, Minnesota just a tick, I think, below 30. Uh, Grizzlies came out better in the first quarter of game four, but they still gave up 33 points, and they're down five. Um, Again, it was Minnesota getting off to an early start, Carl Anthony Towns getting to the free throw line, hitting shots early, and, you know, at that point, you thought, you know, this this may be a long night for the Grizzlies. Minnesota goes up 15, this game, and I know that you know Taylor Jenkins in his post-game press conference, and we'll get to more on that later in Petey's points. I know he said, look, we have to play better. When you look at the numbers statistically, Grizzlies shot 49% from the floor, 47% from three, had 31 assists. Normally those numbers will win you a basketball game. So offensively, the, the Grizzlies have been, have been doing okay defensively that's where the issue is because Minnesota shoots 50% from three they make 18 threes they're plus three in threes yes we all know about the free throw disparity 40 to 25 and Minnesota they were plus 15 in attempts and they were plus 12 in makes neither team shot free throws particularly well and Pat Beverly actually missing two left the door open for the Grizzlies but you know, to give you some contrast, Grizzly shot 25 free throws as a team Carl Anthony Towns shot 17 all by himself. Playoff career high, uh, 33 points uh, for him uh, in that game. McLaughlin was averaging in the regular season 3.8 points per game, shooting 32 percent from three. Well, in game four, a playoff career high 16, including four of four from three. He provided some bench pop for Minnesota, which by and large, with the exception of Beasley in game one, has been missing. In fact, Beasley was held scoreless in game four. Grizzlies getting good production from their bench. They needed to get it. They get another double-digit game, 15 and five boards from Brandon Clark. Uh, They get 13 from Tyus Jones. Those two guys uh, kept the Grizzlies in this game and gave them an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter because The starting front line for the Grizzlies outside of Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. 7, Xavier Tillman getting his third start of the season, finished with just two. Big story for the Grizzlies in this game, Desmond Bain uh, ties his career high with 34 points, sets a new personal best with eight three-point makes, and breaks his own three-point make record in the postseason of seven from game three with eight in game four. That's 15 threes for Desmond Bain in games three and four combined. Grizzlies had a chance at this game. Uh, I know, and we'll, we'll talk on this uh, in Petey's points about the officiating and the free throws and all that. Having said all that, even though the Grizzlies were very unhappy with the officiating, even though the game just had no flow and had no pace, the fact of the matter is they had a Tyus Jones three and they had opportunities to take the lead in this ball game and they had an opportunity to end up winning it, uh, it becomes a one-point game because Bain hits his A3 right at the horn after the Grizzlies went down four because Tyones was making his free throws. You look at the series, and right now, yes, the Grizzlies and Timberwolves are 2-2. And you could look at the series a number of ways. You could say that the Timberwolves are a fourth-quarter collapse away from being up 3-1. Uh, and you could say that the Grizzlies are 1-2 game in which they won most statistical categories except a free throw line, they're that close to being 3-1 and up in the series and a chance to close it out on Tuesday night. Bottom line is, it's a 2-2 series. It's anybody's series at this point. Uh, The Grizzlies, to my way of thinking, have not played their best basketball yet, but we'll get to that in Petey's points. So, in Game 3, Grizzlies with the 26-point comeback to win it. And then in Game 4 on Saturday night, Minnesota outlasting the Grizzlies, 119-118. to Uh, And so now we are all square at two games apiece as we go into Tuesday night's game between these two teams. And uh, the Western Conference, uh, a lot of good series. And even though Golden State got up 3-0 on Denver, Denver with a great win at home at Ball Arena on Sunday. So that series gets extended. Everything else is a 2-2 series in the West. A lot of stuff to get to in PD's points. We'll do that in just a moment. But first, we tell you, today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball, so get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook. They're an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. Now, the more legs you add, of course, the more money that you can win. Plus, place a same-game parlay each day with three or more legs in the parlay and get up to $25 in free bets back if one leg doesn't hit. But again, three or more legs, up to $25 in free bets back if one of those legs does not hit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs, and you'll get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, that's 1-800-426-2537. In Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado or New Hampshire, call 1-800-522-4700. In Connecticut, the number is 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In Iowa, it's 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. In New York, one 8 hope ny or you can also text HOPE-NY. In Oregon, visit opgr.org. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. Or in Virginia, call one 532 3500 You must be 21 or older, 18 or older in Wyoming. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Only minimum five dollar deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. All right. With that, let's get to uh, some Petey's points as uh, we head into Game Five on Tuesday night at FedEx Forum. Uh, number one, and, and Taylor Jenkins will tell you this: the Grizzlies are not playing to their standard yet uh for any number of reasons and not the least of which is Minnesota's a particularly tough matchup for this Grizzlies team. Uh Carl Anthony Towns, very few guys in the league who can match up well with him. Grizzlies have struggled with that matchup at times. They've struggled with the matchup uh with Anthony Edwards as well. These are two all-star caliber players uh and they're playing good basketball. Carl uh, Anthony Towns was a non-factor in Game 3. Grizzlies won the game. Carl Anthony Towns was a big factor in Game 4, and Minnesota wins the game. So that is going to be one of the matchups that the Grizzlies are going to have to at least get a push on, uh, if not get a win in that sense. It'll be interesting to see, because this, this has always been the wrap on Carl Anthony Towns. Does he show up in big games? Didn't show up in Game 3. Showed up in Game 4. What are you going to get in game five? Does anybody really know? He was great in game one in Memphis. Game two, not so much. So the, the, whether Towns plays well or not, that is going to be as de- a determinant a factor as anything you're going to have. And the Grizzlies are not playing up to their standard defensively. Uh, Minnesota is you know, shooting very well from the floor. And so the Grizzlies are going to have to button that down. Grizzlies also turning the ball over more than they would like. Now, the flip side of that is, during the regular season, Minnesota led the NBA in forcing turnovers and scoring off your turnovers. So the Grizzlies, they're getting closer to their standard. And again, when I, when I talked about Game 4 and you look at statistically, these, these are, um, you know, the, the Grizzlies actually had the statistical advantage in Game 4 in virtually every area except the whole free throw situation. Um, you know, and when you look at the series numbers, Grizzlies still averaging 115 points per game. They're shooting 46%. They're shooting 36% from three, which which for them is, is a pretty decent number. The issue here is that the Grizzlies are not converting at the free throw line. They're plus 13 in free throws made, uh, plus 13 in free throws attempted for the series, but they're minus one in makes. Minnesota's shooting 82% from the line. Grizzlies 73%. Playoff time, every possession matters. Every shot matters, and so that's why um, making free throws is going to be huge. Grizzlies are better in assists. They're better in rebounding. Uh, big decided advantage for Minnesota in blocks. They're averaging almost nine blocks a game. And meanwhile, the Grizzlies are forcing 18 turnovers a game. So, they, you know, the Grizzlies not quite to their standard yet. Uh, and I think part of that is because they they do have very, very high standards. All right, game four. We got to talk about. The officiating, um, and as I'm recording this, uh, just got the um, message here that Taylor Jenkins has been fined $15,000 by the NBA for his public criticism of officiating uh, after uh, Game 4. Uh, I have to be honest with you, I thought that fine might have been bigger. Uh, his, his comments were, were very, very pointed. Um, but $15,000 for Taylor Jenkins. No fine yet announced. Uh, Let me check my email one more time. Uh, Not seeing any fines for Dylan Brooks or for John Morant, who uh, also supported their coach uh, as he had, uh, as Taylor Jenkins had the comments about the officiating. Okay. Number one, and I I said this during the course of the telecast. It was repeated on Twitter. A lot of you agreed with it. I just don't like when officiating becomes a major story and unfortunately became a major story. Um, Game... Three, a bigger part in Game Two in Memphis with you know all the fouls in the first quarter, then the game kind of settled in. Referees adjusted, players adjusted, and we had a, we had a good game going forward. I thought Game Three, and I'm not just saying this because the Grizzlies won. I thought Game Three was one of the best managed games uh, of the series, and so credit to James Capers and Josh Tiven, two Finals veterans who were on that game, and I thought they did a really good job with it. Taylor Jenkins was frustrated because a lot of fouls in the first quarter, your starting front line basically has to sit now, uh, and your rotations are thrown way out of whack. The core of what Taylor Jenkins was saying is that there was some definite inconsistency. And I think if you are going to look at game four, it, it, it was inconsistent. And one of the things that is problematic is when you hear the whistle blow and you're not sure what, what the call is going to be because you haven't really figured out which way this is going to go. You know, we have the situation where Zaire Williams takes a swipe down in the face. His eye is injured. He has to go to the bench. We're told that he may not return to the game. That was not looked at as a potential flagrant foul. All right, contacted the head and neck area, potential for injury. Two of the criteria for a flagrant foul. It was not even reviewed. Then you had Jaron's foul late in the game against Carl Anthony Towns, where there was marginal, if any, contact... And Towns throws himself on the floor, lies there for a little bit, and then all of a sudden now we're reviewing it for a flagrant foul. It, it, just, it just was a game that you just didn't feel good about, just the way the whole thing unfolded. And so there were tremendous frustrations. And, look, I thought it was inconsistent on both sides because I know uh, Minnesota certainly had some arguments with calls. Grizzlies had arguments with calls. And one of the rare times you have seen uh, two coaches' challenges in the same game be successful. So... Was it inconsistent? Yep. Did it cost the Grizzlies the game? Statistically, you could say the preponderance of free throws with Minnesota. You know, that that was a big part of the game. But having said that, the Grizzlies still had their opportunities late in the game. The other thing, too, about this is the Grizzlies do have to be more disciplined. We're, in, we're running up to the Stanley Cup playoffs in the NHL, and you will hear analysts speak frequently about teams being disciplined. You don't take Penalties, uh, and it's not all that different in the NBA. You have to be better defending with your feet, not with your hands, not reaching, not grabbing. Um, you know, the arm wrap is an automatic call. Jaron got called for an offensive foul where he grabbed, I think, Jared Vanderbilt's shorts. These are easy calls. You don't like them. I get that, but they're they're legitimate fouls. Um, and when you have the physical play that you have. In the postseason, you are going to have more whistles, which is a trend that that we have seen. One other thing about this, and and I know that I get this question quite often, you know, what are the penalties for referees when they, when they miss calls? The bottom line is their assignments, particularly their postseason assignments, and therefore their wallets are affected by their call accuracy and other things that they do during the course of the playoffs. The staff is trimmed down to 36 for the first round of the playoffs, and then they cut it back for each succeeding round. I think it goes 36, 24, and then down to 16 referees get the coveted white jack to be able to work the NBA finals. People are saying, well, you know, you should be fine if you miss a call. There are a million reasons why you can miss a call. It, You know, you could have been stacked, or what they call stacked, where you know, there's a group of players and you don't get a really clear view of it. You might be late getting to your position on the floor. Um, look, Nobody is perfect. And, and even Monty McCutcheon, who runs the referee operations and training, says we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for excellence. And sometimes you miss calls. The only time, to my understanding, the only time the referees are actually financially penalized is if they misinterpret a rule during a game. That's obviously very, very serious. If uh, you have a rule and it's misapplied, which could open the door for a protest by a team, that's the only time that referees are financially uh, hit for a mistake that they make on the floor. Missing calls. You missed too many. All right. You're one of the 36. You're not going to work the conference semifinals. It's That's the way this works. And we have seen referees that have worked finals in previous years now might not even make the conference finals. So um, they're judged on their call accuracy. Uh, the coaches... After every game, they fill out a report uh, what they thought of the officiating crew on a particular night. They're, all this data goes in, along with call accuracy, and they figure out who goes on to the next round. So, like I said, game four, was it inconsistent? From my eyes, I thought it was inconsistent. Uh, but again, the Grizzlies, they still had the ball in their hands with an opportunity to win the game, regardless of what the free throw total was. Next PD's point, Jaron Jackson Jr., has, has, has got to be better. And part of that is staying on the floor. Part of that is being more disciplined, that you're not using your hands to grab, you're not wrapping guys' arms up, um, and just being more disciplined. And, and Jaron is, is a big reason why the Grizzlies had the successful year that they had, particularly when Morant was out. And now, you know, you're looking at Jaron, he's shooting 38% from the floor uh, and is averaging just 10 points per game. The Grizzlies need 15, 16, 17 points from him in addition to the block shots if they are going to win this series. They need a bigger contribution from Jaron Jackson Jr. problem is he hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Uh, I'm looking at Jaron's minutes right now, and Jaron is averaging uh, right around 24 minutes per game. You'd like to have him be available to you for 32, 34 minutes. But the fact of the matter, he hasn't been available because of all the foul problems. Uh, hopefully, he will um, he will be more disciplined, and the Grizzlies can stay away from the foul problems in Game 5, and he can be productive. The reason that Jaron is so important is because you look at Minnesota and their biggest matchup nightmare, and I know Anthony Edwards is, 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 is on the cusp, but Carl Anthony Towns is your matchup nightmare if you're playing Minnesota. Shoots 40% from three, shoots 50% inside the arc, uh, can block shots, can handle, can 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 do a little bit of passing. Uh, he is the toughest cover, as far as I'm concerned, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jaron should be one of the toughest covers, if not the toughest cover, for Minnesota. Jaron hasn't been available enough to put that pressure on the Minnesota defense and be the Jaron Jackson Jr. that people were talking about as uh, you know a borderline all-star in the run-up to the All-Star Game. Final PD's point before we go today: big shout-out to the bench. Um, obviously, the starting lineup has has been a bit in flux. Steven Adams starting first couple of games. Uh, Kyle Anderson getting a start in Game Three. Xavier Tillman getting a start in Game Four. And again, the foul problems biting him as he was out almost immediately. I think he was like two minutes in and picked up picked up a couple of fouls major shout out to brandon clark brandon clark last year just seemed i don't know that he was entirely healthy uh just seemed a little lost uh with where he was on the basketball court but he has rediscovered what he does best and he is playing with a tremendous amount of confidence he's playing with a tremendous amount of energy and i know some people may say well why don't you just start him because he's playing so well well you you need that pop off the bench because without that, the Grizzlies really struggled. Um, Brandon Clark helped the Grizzlies get back into Game 4, certainly helped them get back and win Game 3. Uh, so he's been fantastic. And Tyus Jones has been great. Tyus Jones is having the best postseason of, of, of his NBA career. And both of these guys were very limited in minutes last year. Both of them were essentially out of the rotation last year in the series against the Utah Jazz. I looked this up, and this was surprising. And, and we touched on it uh in Grizzlies Live in the run-up to Game 4. Brandon Clark played nine minutes against Utah. Nine minutes. And uh, I think um, Tyus played 47 minutes for the entire series. He played 47 minutes for the entire series. Tyus has already played 69, and we've only played four games. Uh, and, And so the Grizzlies are getting the bench effort that they really need because this is a minnesota bench that during the regular season they've been really good but you know if malik beasley is not producing for you off the bench then they're in trouble um you know beasley right now is the fifth leading scorer at about 10 a game and that's inflated because of game one was held scoreless in game four grizzlies advantage can be their bench but the starters have to be better. Starters have to be on the floor. And I say starters with the exception of Desmond Bain, who has been absolutely brilliant in the postseason. Um, John ja Morant saying that maybe he's not 100% physically. Again, this was uh, this is a Carl Anthony Towns, what should have been called an illegal screen. Uh, knee catches Ja in the thigh. He's not 100%, it seems, based on his postgame comments in Minnesota. So what kind of John ja Morant are we going to get in game five? brilliant 15-assist game in Game 4. Can the Grizzlies shake him loose for some momentum plays, which will get the FedEx Forum crowd really rolling? That is a hope that you would have for Game 5. You would hope that Jaron Jackson Jr. can stay on the floor and be productive in Game 5. You also hope that the Grizzlies will be better defensively uh, than they were in Minnesota. This is, you know, in, in Games 2 and 3, The Grizzlies were holding Minnesota to fewer than 100 points. That had not happened in consecutive games for Minnesota. You have to go all the way back to the end of October and the 1st of November. So the defense was there. Defense took a little bit of a step back in Game 4, and a lot of that was Carl Anthony Towns. Well, you don't have Jaron Jackson for a good portion of the game. And so, again, if you're talking to me about what is going to be the deciding factor in this series, it is going to be how the Grizzlies deal with Carl Anthony Towns. If they are successful in dealing with him, as they were in game, games two and three, now you've got something. But the problem is, if you don't deal with him, if Jaron Jackson Jr. is not available to you, uh, if you can't get the ball out of Towns' hands, Minnesota can win this series. Both teams can win this series. This, And I, I said it, if you were a loyal listener of this podcast, I said it at the very beginning. This is a series I think is going to go seven games. It too evenly matched, and we have seen a little bit of everything. We've seen a dominant Minnesota win in Game 1, a dominant Grizzlies win in Game 2, a phenomenal comeback-slash-collapse in Game 3, and then a game that went down to the wire in Game 4. We've seen a little bit of everything in this series. So it tells me this series is going seven games. It tells me that Carl Anthony Towns is the bellwether. Uh, for this Minnesota team and those of you who have been listening to this podcast you know when we had Kyle Radke on from the 10,000 layups podcast I asked him to fill in the blank Minnesota wins this series if fill in the blank he says Carl Anthony Towns shows up well Towns showed up in game four and Minnesota got the win to even the the series at two games apiece again game five will be tipping off at 6 30 at FedEx Forum on Tuesday night and um, it will be carried nationally on TNT, but locally on Bally Sports Southeast. 6 o'clock for Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers, and then a 6.30 tip between the Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves for control of the series, all even at 2.00 want to thank Hoop City Basketball Club for their continued support and also DraftKings Sportsbook. They are the sponsors of today's show. We appreciate your listenership. Please do feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the Grizz Weekly Grind. When we come back for our next episode, we'll know who's up 3-2, and we'll get you ready for Game 6. That's all on the way. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.